Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Zwans, and today is the Feast of St. Charles Borromeo. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. To prepare ourselves, let us acknowledge our sins. I confess to Almighty God and and to you, my brothers and sisters, that that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. Preserve in the midst of your people, we ask, O Lord, the spirit with which you filled the bishop, St. Charles Borromeo, that your church may be constantly renewed, and by conforming herself to the likeness of Christ, may show his face to the world, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Philippians. My dear friends, continue to do as I tell you, as you always have, not only as you did when I was there with you, but even more now that I am no longer there, and work for your salvation in fear and trembling. It is God, for his own loving purpose, who puts both the will and the action into you. Do all that has to be done without complaining or arguing, and then you will be innocent and genuine perfect children of God among a deceitful and underhand brood, and you will shine in the world like bright stars because you are offering it the word of life. This would give me something to be proud of for the day of Christ and would mean that I had not run in the race and exhausted myself for nothing. And then if my blood has to be shed as part of your own sacrifice and offering, which is your faith, I shall still be happy and rejoice with all of you, and you must be just as happy and rejoice with me. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my help. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Before whom shall I shrink? The Lord is my light and my salvation. There is one thing I ask of the Lord, for this I long, to live in the house of the Lord, all the days of my life, to savour the sweetness of the Lord, to behold his temple. The Lord is my light and my salvation. I am sure I shall see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Hope in him, hold firm and take heart. Hope in the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Alleluia, alleluia. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the Spirit of God rests upon you. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. 
Glory to you, O Lord. Great crowds accompanied Jesus on his way, and he turned and spoke to them. If any man comes to me without hating his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, and his own life too, he cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not carry his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And indeed, which of you here, intending to build a tower, would not first sit down and work out the cost to see if he had enough to complete it? Otherwise, if he laid the foundation and then found himself unable to finish the work, the onlookers would all start making fun of him and saying, here is a man who started to build and was unable to finish. Or again, what king marching to war against another king would not first sit down and consider whether with 10,000 men he could stand up to the other who advanced against him with 20,000? If not, then while the other king was still a long way off, he would send envoys to sue for peace. So, in the same way, none of you can be my disciple unless he gives up all his possessions. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So this Gospel which we've heard today presents us with perhaps one of the most shocking and challenging texts in the Scriptures. Jesus says, If any man comes to me without hating his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life too, he cannot be my disciple. I mean, you know, these have got to be some of the most distasteful words that Jesus has ever pronounced. Who could accept it? On the one hand, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies. And here in Luke's Gospel, we hear, hate your family. (laughs) It seems that Jesus is challenging some of our most natural inclinations. And what he's asking us to do is somehow doing damage to our deepest humanity. Well, it, it appears that way on the surface, sure. But is that really what Jesus is getting at? Now, in 1949, while John Paul II was still a priest in Krakow, he finished writing a play about a Polish saint by the name of Adam Kielowski. Now, I'm not sure if I've pronounced that correctly, but if I haven't, I'm sure someone's going to tell me. But anyway, this play was called Our God's Brother, and Brother Adam was a talented artist who stopped painting in order to look after the poor of the city of Krakow. And in the play, a stranger goes up to Adam and claims that all that was needed to relieve the poverty of the poor was an abundance of material goods. The kind of logic that says, you know, give a man enough food and then he won't be hungry. And so in this play, Our God's Brother, John Paul places a very interesting response on the lips of Adam Kielowski. He says, Man's poverty is deeper than the resources of all of those goods. In other words, all the material possessions in the world can never alleviate the poverty of man. His desires are far greater than everything that is. Man's poverty is deeper than than the resources of all those goods. Now, when we step back from the fast pace of our everyday lives, when we pull ourselves out of the constant stream of information, news and advertising, when we begin to examine our own existence, we can see the truth of this statement. 
So many different things promise to give us satisfaction and happiness. Surely once I've achieved my goal. Surely once I've bought my dream house. Surely once I've got my promotion. Surely after all of these great milestones, I'll have reached my destination and obtained my happiness. And although intellectually we probably know the folly of these statements, it's still so hard not to quietly buy into them because this logic stands at the heart of nearly every advertising campaign. My product will make you happier. My product will make you less afraid. My product will answer your question. My product will ease your hunger. But in the midst of all these slogans comes this great line from John Paul II. Man's poverty is deeper than the resources of all those goods. There's an inexhaustibility to human desire. We can keep throwing stuff at it, but it's a bottomless pit. My poverty is greater than the goods of all the world. I may possess something good, but the thought that there's something better causes my desire to home in on that which I don't have. So, ultimately, obtaining that which I don't have doesn't definitively bring a close to my desire because, you know, conceivably, there's probably something better again. And so, you know, this process continues on and on and on until finally we come for the desire for that which is perfect. That's what I want. I want what's perfect, not something that's second-rate or third-rate. At the end... What I'm looking for is infinite. There's an old story that's told about Alexander the Great, that when Alexander saw the breadth of his domain, he wept, for there were no more worlds to conquer. Possessing the world, he was still hungry. Man's poverty is deeper than the resources of all those goods. So what's the deal? Do we simply resign ourselves to being frustrated all the time? My desire is limitless, but I'm limited. So learn to live with dissatisfaction. Accept my inevitable poverty. Maybe the secret to life is for me to just lower my expectations. Well, The secret of human life, according to the biblical tradition, is to recognize the true object of my desire. What is it that I truly seek? This is what clarifies the meaning of my life. This points out the goal, the end, that I really seek. If my ultimate desire is for the infinite, then I'll only find my true satisfaction in the infinite. God is the one for whom I'm longing And this is the thing, right? Like, it's not because I happen to be a Catholic priest that God is the one for whom I'm longing. You know, it's not because we happen to be, you know, sort of the religious minority that God is the object of our longing. It's because we're human beings. To use a rather controversial statement, we were born that way because we were made that way. You know, the expression of this desire is indicated countless times in the scriptures. But maybe one of the most evocative comes from Psalm 62. O God, you are my God. For you I long. For you my soul is thirsting, like a dry, weary land without water. We're getting now to the core of God's plan for humanity. We've been created with this infinite desire. 
that can only find its satisfaction in the infinite. And this leads us to St. Augustine's great statement from his masterpiece, The Confessions. You have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. My heart's restless because it doesn't yet behold God, the object of my heart's desire. And the reason why I desire God is because God has made me for himself. And so the answer to the deep question of my happiness, it's him. And ultimately, nothing else. So whenever I make something other than God the highest goal of my life, I'll inevitably run into frustration because nothing else is infinite. Nothing else corresponds to my desire for perfection. And the tragedy of human life is that very often we intuit the object of this infinite desire as being something finite. Those captured by greed have an infinite desire for finite money. Those captured by sensuality have an infinite desire for finite pleasure. Those captured by pride will have an infinite desire for finite ego. These things will come to occupy a position in our lives that should be God's alone. And the scriptures have a word for that. It's called idolatry. That which is at the centre of our lives is that which we worship. My true God might well be my ego, my wealth, my reputation, my pleasure. And that is a recipe for unhappiness. So here's the kicker. And this is why today's gospel is so challenging. Even those things which are most precious to us must never take God's place. Even my father, my mother, my spouse, my children, my siblings, none of them should occupy the place of God because none of them will ultimately satisfy my desire for perfection. I must not idolize even those most precious of relationships. And, you know, Christ isn't denigrating the beauty of the family. Certainly not. It's the pinnacle of his creation and a sign of God's love for humanity. But even the family cannot occupy the central place that God holds in my life. I mean, remember St. Francis of Assisi. His father was the one who was holding him back from living a life radically dedicated to God. And so St. Francis had to prioritize God. When I don't idolize my spouse my family, when I don't expect them to fulfill and satisfy my infinite desire, then I'm not placing on them a burden that they cannot possibly carry. I'm not placing a hope upon them that they cannot possibly live up to. My family, my wealth, my power, all of these things can make me happy, even very happy, and hopefully even deliriously happy, but never perfectly happy. Only God can still my restless heart because he has made me for himself. So in the light of this infinite desire, how should I live? Jesus says this, Anyone who does not carry his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The way that leads to God, our ultimate desire, is the way of the cross. It's a bit counterintuitive. Why is the path to happiness so difficult? Why is the path to happiness one that leads to pain? Well, it's because the only way to God who is love is the way that is love. Not a Hollywood kind of love, a Christ-like kind of love. A love that is willing to pour itself out. A love that is willing to sacrifice. Being willing to take up our crosses and come after Christ means nothing less than being willing to love like him. And this is the way that leads to the Father for whom we yearn. Love 
is what we desire, infinite love. And our hearts are restless until they are enwrapped in the infinite exchange of love, which is God. At the Saviour's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Let us welcome Christ into our hearts with an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. And we finish by praying Pope Francis's prayer to Mary during the coronavirus pandemic. O Mary, you shine continuously on our journey as a sign of salvation and hope. We entrust ourselves to you, health of the sick. At the foot of the cross, you participated in Jesus' pain with steadfast faith. You, salvation of the Roman people, know what we need. We are certain that you will provide, so that as you did in Cana of Galilee, joy and feasting might return after this moment of trial. Help us, Mother of Divine Love, to conform ourselves to the Father's will and to do what Jesus tells us. He who took our sufferings upon himself and bore our sorrows to bring us through the cross to the joy of the resurrection. Amen. We seek refuge under your protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our pleas we who are put to the test, and deliver us from every danger, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.